Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. You know, sometimes I wish that there was, like, Google had a pun search engine or something like that. Because I know what we're going to talk about, but I don't really have any puns for it. Oh, yeah, that would make that would make recording these episodes so much easier. They do not oh, have a pun yeah. engine, <laughs> as far as I know, um, but they do have a nifty other new type of search engine that a lot of the folks who listen to this might find pretty cool. All right, let's talk about that. You are listening to Linear Digressions. I do have to say that a listener, uh, I'm not sure if I can give his full name, so I'll say Samuel T. wrote in and... He had made a pun generator, which is pretty fantastic. And you just type in a word and it tries to make puns. Oh, that's pretty neat. Do you have it up? Is, can, we, can we try this out? Sure. Uh, okay. what, should I, what should I pun on? Uh, data set. Data set. I don't feel like there's a lot of space with that one for puns, but let's see what it is. I'll be really impressed if it comes up with something good. Otherwise, we'll have to... No, it didn't. It it came up with I so I think that it I'm not sure exactly how it works, but it came up with some generic ones to fish for a data set, a taste of your own data set, <laughs> to draw the data set straw, horse of a data set color. So some of these I'm not understanding, but I think it's just mad libbing in data set. I think into... it's mad libbing. Ah, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Well, anyway. Also, I think data set is just not, I don't know, that doesn't feel like the richest pun fodder. No, I mean, actually, let me just, data set puns. This is just in Google. No, actually, I found a data, <laughs> when I search for data set puns, mm-hmm. the first thing co- that comes up is uh, kaggle.com. This data set is in the form of a CSV file containing 231,657 jokes Ooh. between 10 and 200 characters. So not not a data set pun, but a data set of puns? Interesting. Of jokes. Well, so to get this back slightly on track, one thing... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I feel like we've actually just kind of gone through the whole episode here. So the thing that we're talking about today is a new type of search capability that Google's recently rolled out, and it's a search for data sets. So is this like you go to google.com slash blah, 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 and then you type in puns, and it comes up with data sets for you that might be of puns? Well, let's see. So I'll, I'll actually run this in, in real time. So what you do is you go to, the way you find it is uh, toolbox.google.com slash dataset search, or you can just Google for Google dataset search and then That's a meta know, use Google to find itself. Um, so you know, I'm a lot in... of people, a lot of people search Google for Google from the location bar of their web browser, click on the first link, which takes them to Google, and then they search for their term. Uh, well, that sounds about right. So I just put puns into the dataset search, and the first thing that pops up is Kaggle short jokes collection uh-huh. of over two hundred thousand short jokes for humor research. And then I've got some links to the Kaggle pages. So I basically just found the datasets that you found. Now, obviously, you you used a slightly more traditional route than I did, but in general, <laughs> it's not that easy to find. I guess data set puns were 
that that search is a little bit meta here. But in general, it's not that easy to actually find data sets sometimes, uh, especially if you're doing research or you're an academic or something like that, somebody who has to find data sets sort of as your job. And we can talk about why. But anyway, the point is that Google now has uh, some stuff that they put in place to make it a lot easier to find data sets, which is really cool. That is really cool. So I have it open now, too. And I just searched for planets. And the data sets that come up are Kepler-confirmed planets. That's exoplanets that are discovered by the Kepler satellite, or the telescope in orbit. And then there's near-Earth asteroids, which is data from the JPL's NEO program, which tracks near-Earth objects, which is kind of... It's interesting. That's not planets, but it's similar. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm poking around here right now. I found some data sets from CERN. And so you can imagine if you're a researcher, a huge part of what you might spend your time doing is trying to find data sets that are relevant to something that you need to find. But it can actually be really, really hard to find data sets. So, like, what did you do, I guess, before today? Before today, Do you just literally search Google? Search using Google? Or? Oh, I, I mean, no. Like, if so, when I was at CERN and we were using d- physics data sets, there were internal CERN tools that they would use to do their own data set searches. But, yeah, I mean, if there was a data set that you needed but you didn't know how to find it... You, you're kind of out of luck. Like you'd have to go ask a friend or you'd have to try to remember what the name of it maybe was, or maybe if you were really lucky, you could stumble upon it, but it, there wasn't a good answer to this question. That's why it's so interesting and intriguing that Google has been, uh, has come up with something here. Interesting. So they're they're kind of forging a new path, and they've created a first tool where there really haven't been tools before. That's correct. I think, in in fairness, I think there are some folks in the academic community who've been working on this problem for a little bit longer than yeah. than Google maybe has. But of course, they just have resources that they can throw at it that uh, you know the most of the rest of us yeah. don't. Yeah, that's what Google is known for, right? That's kind of what they do. Aside from ads being their bread and butter, their main product has always been search. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think they, I'm sure that there are some folks in Google who have research experience or they go and talk to enough of their users to realize that this was actually just a big, um, you know, potentially a big hole in their search capabilities. So, to step back here for a moment, why are data sets kind of hard to find or like where do data sets live, right? And the answer is there's no very standardized answer to that. So especially for academic data sets, one of the most common places where you can where you have to go to find data sets is on the websites of the various academics who produce them. So very often there's uh, either because for the good of the for the good of the order or because sometimes it's an explicit requirement of funding grants that fund this research researchers are very often putting these data sets they'll produce a data set as a result of a research project that they do and then they'll put it on their website and technically then that data set is available to anyone who comes across their website it's not like it's mm, gated or that you can't get it but when you it's think like of technically accessible yeah, it's but not easy to find necessarily. Right. It's, you know, what's feels like some kind of weird inversion of 
security by obscurity or something like that. It's really yeah. hard to find. So if you know the name of the person who created the data set, or you can somehow tra trace it back to that person or their research group, then there's a pretty good chance that you can find it. But that's usually not how I would think about the data sets that I would want to go research. I don't remember their their authors or their creators or their publishers. I would remember something about the data set itself, but that was really that's really hard to search on. Okay, so we've done podcasts in that we've done episodes in the past where we're kind of talking about how Google search works. Do you have any idea how this one works? Is it just I mean like a naive way of do of going about it is just to take whatever the search term is and add data set to it. But obviously that would be a bit too naive for them to spin up a whole new tool. Um, do they have any new techniques that they're using to find these data sets? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So there are a couple pretty good blog posts uh, that explain some of the details of this, one of which is on Google's AI blog, uh, and one of them is more of like a press release type thing. We'll put both of those on lineardigressions.com for those of you who are interested in those. But the gist of it is that there isn't really any magical secret sauce here. Um, so what they're doing is they're saying that if you're a person who has data sets that you want our crawlers to find, crawlers are these little programs that um, visit all these web pages and look at all of the HTML that they have on them and then interpret that for the purposes of generating search results. So these crawlers are coming across academic websites all the time that might have data sets on it. And they're saying to the authors of those websites, now we want you to start explicitly tagging your data sets with metadata about the data sets themselves. So that's in the same way that on an HTML page, you can do something like say, this is my title, or this is a picture, and you can attach some information to different different pieces of information in the, in the website itself. They're asking people who uh, host these data sets to, to do the same sort of thing. So when you have, say, a link to a CSV file that somebody can download from your website, they ask you to attach some HTML tags to it that say, this is a data set, here are some properties of this data set that are going to be really helpful for our crawlers to interpret it. And then when the crawlers come through, they harvest all of that information, they parse it, they do a bunch of stuff on the back end to figure out if this data set, for example, is the same as other data sets that is seen on other pages, because sometimes you'll have a lot of different links that are pointing to the same source, or it'll point to really similar versions of the same data set. So trying to do some of that disambiguation, try to understand if there's, say, an acronym in the name of the the publisher of the data set, you know which is it? You know, which organization should should be credited with authorship or or ownership of that data set? So all of that kind of, I guess that is secret sauce a little bit, but all of that stuff that makes Google search kind of smart that is doing all of the uh, the disambiguation and the, it's kind of like PageRank but for data sets. It's, I mean, it's not, but it's doing the same thing that PageRank did, where it's where it's ordering them and it's doing that yeah. reconciling and stuff. Conceptually, I guess. Yeah. So um, the reason I said there's no secret sauce here is because they have to ask people to go in and um, add that metadata and you have to add it by hand. And it, it's it's a little bit tricky to do. It's not tricky, but it you have to go in and do it. And there's 
a particular open source schema that they're asking people to use as uh, a reference for deciding what tags they should be placing and how to interpret all of them. So they're doing as much as they can to get people in the habit of of tagging these data sets now so that they show up. But ultimately, it comes down to the hosts of these data sets manually attaching, at least for right now, manually attaching that metadata for the crawlers to find. Right. That seems like a really uh, reasonable approach, trying to get people to do the same type of thing. Like metadata, it's funny because like you and I probably as end users of products don't really interact with metadata very much. Every time we take a photo, a ton of information is attached to that photo file and is uh, the XF metadata in the photo file. Like, for example, what type of camera, even things like f-stop or aperture, technical details, potentially location, depending on uh, what device, if your device has a GPS tracker on it. Um, and whether the software is set to record that or to leave that out. And so you can take what just looks like a simple image and you can actually do some analysis on it, whether it's on your own data or um, someone else's photo collection or something like that. Yeah, so in the case of most of the devices we use, that's all automated because there's kind of agreed upon standards right now. For stuff like data sets, there have been data sets for so much longer than there's been the web that, you know, I don't know, they just never really consolidated around a single standard. And even if they had, yeah. there wasn't a way to make use of that metadata in a way that was like useful like this is. So that's one of the advantages that Google has as versus some of the other projects that have tried to do stuff like this before is they're just so big that it gets everyone's attention when they make a move like this. And they can also... Yeah. You know, go work with some of the big organizations that host big repositories of data. So go talk to different types of government organizations and major universities and places like CERN and get some of those big players on board so that the tool has a pretty decent start. And then hopefully that creates enough of a critical mass that sort of the long tail of data producers will start to want to get their data sets into into the search results and so they start to get better about the metadata stuff. Right. Yeah, they have more of an they have an incentive rather than not having an incentive. And that's actually something interesting about standardization just in general, whether you're looking at something like like even something like CSS and HTML and JavaScript, there wasn't back in the in the wild west in the in the early 2000s and even a little bit before then, there were only a couple of web browsers and there really wasn't a huge amount of incentive for those web browsers to follow what the standards organizations were doing just because there were, you know, when Internet Explorer back in the days of IE 5.5 and whatever, they were just dominating the market. And so they could do what they thought was best or they could decide to do what a standards body thought was best. Um, and so they didn't have a huge amount of incentive to do that. Uh, I kind of have gotten a little off course here, but I think the same concept applies to individual um, researchers who are producing data sets. They don't really have an incentive to to either to use a standard schema for their metadata or to attach that data, that metadata to their data set unless there is some reason. And that reason seems to now be in existence <laughs> thanks to... Thanks to, um, I guess, the dominance of Google in the search space and the fact that they've made something that 
probably a lot of people are going to be using. Yeah, I think there's another incentive here, too, that got mentioned on uh, the AI blog post. And this is something that I think is long overdue. Um, And that's generally the idea that when people create data sets that are very useful and they make them available to all of their all of their colleagues or everyone in the world potentially that there should be some kind of academic reward for that so the academic reward system right now mostly rewards publishing papers and having your papers cited by other researchers in your field and that's great because it's a measure of how much you're contributing to like the intellectual advancement of your field but one way you can do that is writing papers but another way you can do it is by creating data sets that everyone can use and that, uh, you know, there are certain data sets that dozens or hundreds of papers in, in some cases could potentially be based on because they're really good data sets. And so if you make it easy for people to identify where data sets come from, it makes it a lot easier for them to find a data set. And so you don't have to spend six months or a year creating it before you can start analyzing it. If that's complemented with giving citations or giving uh, some kind of authorship credit or something like that to the folks who are creating data sets. And that creates a really strong incentive for researchers to go out and make high quality data and to share it with each other. And that's something that makes just all of science basically better than it is right now. So while we've been talking, I searched for podcast data sets, and there are actually quite a few of them. And the very first one, I, I went and I, hey, I made a Kaggle account so I could download this data set. Yay, me. Um, the data set was all podcast episodes published in December of 2017. It's metadata. Speaking of metadata, it's metadata of 121,000 podcasts and 881,000 episodes with audio URLs. And I opened it up and I searched for linear digressions and I found us. We are number 65,597 in the CSV file. It's got a a UID, unique identifier for the podcast, Uh, title, image, description, language. Apparently it's in English. Uh, Categories, (laughs) website, author, which is both of us, and iTunes uh, ID, which is 94121923. So if you could go to that iTunes ID and leave us a review... Uh, more people will find us. Uh, anyway, I just thought it was kind of cool to to like be able to so easily find uh, a data set that was high enough quality that it included us in it. Little old us. That's really cool. I I never would have even thought to do that, but that is really neat. Yeah, you can actually, any of us can go do that uh, by searching for podcast on in the in the Google data set search. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.